Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Uh, joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today? I'm doing well today, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. We've got a couple other Z Primers here to talk about the water energy nexus. We've got uh, Chris Moyer back on the show. Howdy, Chris. Dylan, great to speak with you. Uh, and we also have Aaron Otan back as well. How's it hanging, Aaron? Hey, Dylan. Thanks for having me back. Happy to have you back. Yeah, so today we're talking about the convergence of the energy industry and the water industry, known as the water energy nexus. Uh, Chris, can you tell us a little bit why we're talking about this and what why it's so important? Uh, absolutely, Dylan. So globally, uh, 4% of all electricity in the world is produced, uh, is used to treat, process, and move water. And there are certain areas around uh, the United States and globally where that is significantly higher. A place like California, 19% of all electricity is used to treat, process, and move water. And when you consider that we're living in a world right now that is having water shortages uh, and Two and a half billion people out of the more than seven billion people on the planet live in energy and water poverty uh, at the same time that, that we're trying to tackle climate change uh, and increase the sustainability. This area of, of focus for water utilities, for electric utilities, for policymakers is one of, of in really strong importance. Um, and so that is why. Z Prime uh, has been focusing research on the water energy nexus and actually just finished an event last week called We3. Um, Aaron, Aaron, you were uh, major players as, as moderators of that event and helped do a lot of the research. Uh, what was some of the, the most striking things in, in your work about water and energy that, that you found to be particularly interesting? That's a great question, Chris. I think one thing that really came across at the event, which is something that we had been seeing in our research over the past year and a half to two years around digital transformation within water utilities, is that they really are, in fact, a little farther behind electric utilities. And so they're starting to do, starting to make some infrastructure investments uh, that utilities kind of did about five to seven years ago, particularly around the smart meter. So really kind of getting that first wave of, uh, I guess, what we're calling digitization out there. They're a little bit farther behind. So kind of hearing those conversations between water utilities and electric utilities and how they can start to learn from each other was really beneficial. But it did hi highlight that significant gap in terms of the maturity of digital technology within both of those types of utilities. Aaron A., based on, based on what we learned through some, some of these talks, uh, what are the, some of the biggest global challenges facing the water energy nexus over the next decade? Well, I think like Aaron Hardick said, um, you know, the utilities are, water utilities are farther behind the energy utilities, but they do have a lot of the same challenges, um, really modernizing their infrastructure, um, reaching new customers, serving new customers, serving existing customers, um, and, and really just conservation, um, 
climate change was a big topic at the event um, and how energy and water are really inextricably linked together at this point. It takes energy to move water. It takes water to, you know, keep our energy systems running. Um, so those are really just some of the bigger, big challenges that we heard about. Can I ask about why uh, the water energy is behind if it's so inextricably linked to energy and also facing some of the similar issues. I remember uh, I talked to someone who works for a water utility recently and they're, you know, they're just now like updating GIS systems that have been updated in ut the utility space for at least a couple of years uh, in, the, in their own like service territory. So I, I, I guess I'm just curious, is it, be is it something to do with that field not being paid attention to, or is there a different like regulatory environment? What, what's up with that? Dylan, that is a great question. I think that there's a component, there's multiple components to why the water utility space is behind electric and gas utilities. Probably the biggest reason is, is simply scale. Many water, many water utilities around the country and globally have much smaller budgets, much smaller service territories, and so they can't af afford some of the uh, technology like AMI meters uh, and uh, sensors to track whether uh, when there's leaks in the pipe pipelines, um, the cleanliness of water, water security issues uh, that electric and gas utilities have been able to uh, keep track of for the last 10 to 20 years uh, because of large investments in grid modernization. So I would say that that's probably the biggest reason. You mentioned the regulatory aspect um, to a degree that that is a that is a component. And then, um, uh, you know, furthermore, I would I would say that the the final reason is that uh, there's just been because of that scale. Uh, issue, there's been more investment in electric and gas utility technology than there has in water utility technology until very recently. Aaron H., what is the relationship between water and energy sort of been like, and how is it changing based on what we, we heard? And it, I guess the, and then the third thing would be, it, is that helping address some of these uh, issues we just talked about? So I think traditionally you have some utilities that do provide electric and water service and they are very or they are more integrated with the delivery of those services because they fall under the same entity. But of course you have areas that have a separate electric utility and a separate water utility. And in those areas, I think traditionally those services have been I guess complementary to each other, but they haven't been delivered in a very integrated way. So the next evolution of that is continuing to push out pilot projects where water utilities and electric utilities are leveraging some of these new digital assets together that are on the grid and they are using partnerships to kind of fund some of these projects. Electric utilities have been fortunate enough to be able to do more research and development on innovative technologies and start to prove an ROI and get them out there and deployed. Water utilities haven't gotten that far, 
But what they can do is they can start to look at the electric utilities that have deployed some of that new infrastructure and start to leverage it without them having to pass the own funding, their own funding to get that infrastructure out there. So moving forward, I think we're going to see a lot more partnerships between water utilities and electric utilities, particularly to help fund that innovation or that that gap in capital for innovation on the water side. And those partnerships are going to be what bring the water utilities into this new digital age because it's going to allow them to not have to dedicate a bunch of capital to innovation, but be able to leverage other investments from other types of utilities in their service territories um, to better provide reliability and, and customer experiences. Yeah, just to Aaron's point briefly, you take two really good examples the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, the largest municipal utility in the country, they serve uh, their 4 million customers with both water and electricity and gas. It is easier for them to coordinate those services than another utility that you see in California, large municipal like the Sacramento Municipal Utility District. And they have 19 different water utility partners in their service territory. That's a municipal. Imagine a large IOU, your Pacific Gas and Electric, your Duke Energy, one of somebody from the Exelon family of companies. They're going to have hundreds of utilities that, ser- that ser- serve their customers with water. So making sure that you're coordinating with those multiple different entities can be very, very challenging. There was one uh, particular slide that was shown by Catherine Sandoval, who is a commissioner uh, for the California Public Public Utilities Commission, and this was uh, CPUC Decision 1606-010, but it's referred to as the piggybacking pilots. And what this does, or what this pilot is, is a shared network pilot that authorized um, SoCal Gas, Eclara, and a few participating water utilities to share the AMI network that was deployed that was deployed in California between the water utilities and the electric utility. So it's a it's a pilot that highlights a partnership between water utilities and electric utilities to kind of share infrastructure to both create better experiences for their customers. Yeah, and just to add to what Aaron just said um, around that project was that Catherine really highlighted that the regulatory alignment was the reason that they were able to do to do this project, and that really allowed them to align the technology and, and leverage the shared technology. Just a quick clarifying question, because we're talking about digital solutions, um, and that can help a lot with creating efficiencies in the system and like Aaron said, delivering, you know, the best possible service to consumers. But I, there was a lot of talk, not just at the conference, just when people talk about water and the future in general, about access to clean water for as many constituents as possible globally. Um, that seems less like a, less like a digital solution because it involves actually going in and, and cleaning water. So what's, uh, how is how is the energy space getting involved in in that vital human element? 
Well, that's that's a good question, Dylan, and I'm going to take this in two different parts. One, I think that let's address the digital side of this equation first. It is essential that both electric utilities and water utilities are able to to measure what they're doing. And that's the digitization and ultimately the digitalization, that sharing of information uh, across the utility and with stakeholders and partners in, in government and business uh, to do their job more effectively and efficiently, uh, whether it's deli- deliver power or deliver water. So being able to measure uh, the, the amount of, of water that is being consumed at the meter, uh, at an appliance, whether it's a shower head, a faucet, a sprinkler system, I- any other uh, water-consuming device in a home or business, being able to track what amount of water is being used is ultimately going to be able to drive the efficiencies of of how you conserve water when there's a time of scarcity. Or even as you're just trying to conserve water in the pro- production of electricity, which is crucial for uh, reducing climate change. The point when it comes to, to cleanliness is that as you as more water utilities are able to uh, test for chemicals like PFAS in the in the water system, uh, lead in your water system, bacteria in the water system at a point of entry, uh, whether it's at, at the pumping station or, or when it comes out the faucet itself, uh, this is going to give people a, a much greater degree of, of cleanliness and safety in their consumption. And electricity is crucial for the the, the movement of that water. We talked about, you know, uh, somewhere between 4 and 20%, depending on where you are in the world uh, and in the country, of, of all electricity is used to, to move and treat and process water. So uh, electricity is, is tightly linked to how we clean and process that water as well as the movement element of it. Chris, I just wanted to add, too, that I think that this is where there's an opportunity for technology vendors to come into play. So we had Minaj Bargava there who's working on a product that actually um, looks at the water and tells you what the contaminants are that are in it and, and you know what's needed to, to clean it. And that's set up as a you know completely independent system that people in remote um, remote countries or remote areas could use. And then we also had Shay Fabode from Varuna um, talking about his his company is working on different sensors to again water, m- measure contaminants um, and and show where things could be cleaned and where things could be made more efficient in the water system. Um, so again, just sort of highlighting what Aaron Hardick talked about with partnerships, um, and then just that there's a gap that these vendors can start to fill. We've been talking about making a better experience for the customers, and on this show we often talk about how customers are pushing innovation in the energy industry. How are customers getting involved in the water energy nexus? Well, I think first of all, people are tired of one, getting really high water bills, and two, not being able to read them. So a lot of innovation that is on that is currently going on within water utilities is focused on better communicating to the customer 
what they're doing with their water, when they're using it, and why it's, why it's so expensive. So we did, like Aaron just mentioned, there were some vendors there. And a few of them were particularly focused on kind of reimagining the utility water bill. That is the first step in creating better customer engagement is just simply being able to communicate to the customer, this is what you are consuming, this is how much you are paying for it, and this is why you are paying for how much you're paying for. So that inability to kind of get that basic communication right is putting a lot of pressure on the utility to really have to reimagine how they engage with the customer because as the rest of the grid becomes digitalized, so will the customer experience. And so for water utilities, I don't know if it's sort of a chicken and egg type of situation because you have electric utilities, digitalizing infrastructure, and water utilities can use those investments for ops and then in return benefit their customer engagement strategy Um, but the customer is definitely driving the need for change from that perspective because we know that their uh, their baseline for expectations of how a good customer experience should go in today's market is a lot higher than what currently water utilities are providing to them. Yeah, so several of the speakers at the event were from Smart Energy Water, our, our partners on the event, um, and they that's what they were really highlighting at the event was that innovation around um, communicating to the customer and um, delivering for the customer. Um, one of my favorite quotes actually from the event came from David Wright with the LA Department of Water and Power, and he said, we're going to bombard them with information basically doing whatever they can to really provide as much information as possible to to their customers um, in the city of Los Angeles. You know, Aaron and Aaron, I think that this is a, a, these are really good points. The more information that customers have, both in the electric and gas utility space and also in the, the water space, is, is really going to be crucial to driving those types of changes from an environmental and societal place that that we really want to focus on. So if our goal is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, if our goal is to conserve water, uh, we need to be doing a better job communicating with those customers. But while we're doing that, we also really need to focus on expanding access to, to customers around the globe and in our own backyards. So whether it's uh, parts of Texas just minutes away from the downtown Austin area or Flint, Michigan, or Northern California within a couple hours drive of San Francisco, one of the richest cities in the world, there are still people that don't have access to running water or clean water. And this is something I know that that Aaron Otan really is very passionate about. And and I'd love to hear your comments on this. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Um, So Again, going back to Commissioner Sandoval's presentation at WE3, um, she talked about another pilot project or another project um, that PG&E did. They expanded access to um, a federally recognized um, Native American tribe in Northern California. Um, beforehand, they they did not have access to electricity. They were doing everything by um, generators using, you know, dangerous wood-fired stoves at night. Um, and I thought that one of the 
one of the most um, interesting things that she said was that they really had to talk, spend a lot of time talking with the tribal leaders to see, to understand their needs and really deliver what what they wanted, what was going to be best for them. Um, and, you know, they they really wanted that access and um, working with PG&E and the um, the CPUC, they were able to partner together to deliver it. One other aspect of the customer conversation, which I'm definitely guilty of thinking of it in this way, is thinking that customers, when we say the word customer, we're just referring to residential customers. But commercial and industrial customers are actually having a very large influence on water utilities, particularly around infrastructure upgrades. A lot of industries these days, especially energy and anything that requires a lot of data, um, a lot of organizations are starting to build their own water systems because they're more reliable than the public water service and ultimately will be more sustainable. And so when when you start to lose big customers like that, that drastically impacts revenue, but also you now have a more decentralized water systems and more decentralized assets. How can water utilities work with big customer and commercial and industrial customers to leverage their decentralized water system so that we have water moving more locally and it's less energy intensive when that happens. So there is a shift in terms of decentralization of assets on the water distribution grid that is forcing water utilities to update their infrastructure and that means both their information, their the convergence of IT and OT. So CNI customers are having a very large influence on water utilities. Do you think we got a good sense of what the regulatory goals are in the water energy nexus? A uh, sense where policymakers' heads are at and what some of the regulatory goals are for utilities and technologists as well? The only thing I have... Dylan, the only thing I really have to say around policy is we heard from Admiral Eric Olson, and he said no nation through its own policy is going to solve the water crisis. All nations have to come together to solve this. So I don't know as much about policy as we do as I do about emerging technologies, but I do want to echo that sentiment because I I do believe that it's not going to be one state's policy, one country's policy that is actually going to be transformational in solving water access issues. I, I do think it is. Ha- it does have to be a global effort. Uh, Admiral Olson uh, talked about uh, a global response. Uh, we, we heard from uh, com- uh, Executive Director of the California Energy Commission, uh, Drew Bohan, about what's going on with, with energy. All of this is is really focused on how we have a collective response. That's going to be the key. Can we marshal uh, a, 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 you know, taking whether it was the Paris Accord from a few years ago, the clean energy, the clean power plan, as you improve the cleanliness of your energy system, uh, you're going to have, uh, that's going to have ripple effects into a more efficient water system. Uh, and vice versa. So 
the, the key for policymakers at a local level, at a, at, at a national level, and a global level will be to help incentivize companies to do the right thing and still be able to make money while serving their customers effectively. So I, I just got one more question before we wrap this up. We heard a lot about calls to action at the event, sort of pleas to change the way we think about working in this space because drastic change is needed to address the, the issues of the 21st century. So open question for the group, what is your call to action? I think my call to action is kind of boring and simple, but it is for people to be mindful of how to conserve water in their daily lives. It's the things that you hear growing up. Turn off the faucet when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and you're not using, you know, you don't need to use the water. We as professionals in this industry have to live out these daily values. We can't sit on stage and tell everybody else to conserve. I think it definitely starts with us and speaking to our friends and family about it. How do you be more mindful of conserving? Because Dr. Michael Weber out of UT, he actually says, you know, conservation isn't the long-term answer, but it's the answer until we figure out what the long-term answer is. And so that would be my call to action is continue to conserve because it, it's not going to be the overall solution, the one single one, but it is going to allow us to find some of those solutions that are going to create better access and cleaner water for everyone. My call to action really goes along with, with what Aaron Hardick said, and, and that is that it is a, that this is a response that we as individuals have agency over. Uh, conservation might not be the long-term solution, uh, but every single act that we take, if we, if we avail ourselves of more information about the amount of energy that we're using as individuals, the amount of water that we're using as individuals, uh, and really get a, a focus on what our footprint is, using some of these digital technologies and digital platforms to do that, we're going to have abil an ability to, to have collective positive action. So if I just cut out eating uh, one cheeseburger a week or five cheeseburgers a week, uh, one that's going to help my uh, health, but it's also going to have an impact in how much water I consume. Uh, do I take my bike instead of driving? Uh, do I switch to an electric vehicle? Do I put solar panels on my roof? All of these things in the water energy nexus uh, really make an impact on each other. And I'll, and I'll just point this, this one quick stat out. When we use power that comes from coal, it takes 40 gallons of water to produce one kilowatt hour. It takes 1.1 gallon of water to produce a kilowatt hour of wind energy and 0.3 gallons of water uh, per kilowatt hour to produce solar energy. So there's a whole bunch of things that we can do as individuals and as, and as uh, corporations to make an impact on this, uh, this absolutely crucial challenge for our time. And I would really just echo what Aaron and Chris said. I think um, being, being mindful um, is one of the best things we can do. You know, actually pay attention to the energy that we're using, the water that we're using. Um, also try to hold, you know, our legislators responsible. Um, just 
staying knowledgeable and being mindful um, of the of the issues and of the problems that we're facing. And I'm going to cap it off by saying, don't forget about people, your customers, your constituents, the people that live in your area, whatever you want to call them. They are not only the source of your revenue, but they're people and you, all your planning and design has to be centered around enabling those people to be able to live their lives and do the best they can do. So make sure to keep them at the front of your mind. And with that, we'll wrap up here. Uh, I want to thank you all for coming. Aaron H., thanks for being on as always. Thanks for having me, Dylan. It was a great event. I'm really excited to see how we continue to have more of these conversations around the water energy nexus because while we three was just one day, we started a movement and that's why there are so many calls to action associated with the event is because we have every intention of continuing these conversations to actually make a change. So thanks for letting me talk about it with you guys today. And Chris, thank you for being here. My pleasure, Dylan. And Aaron A., appreciate having you on. Thanks, Dylan. I'll talk to you again soon. You can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at zprime underscore research, at dy lockwood, at Aaron underscore hardick, at chris underscore moyer13, at Aaron Otan. We also still have tickets available for ETS 19 coming up April 15th through 18th in Austin, Texas. For more information with that, along with an up-to-date speaker lineup and agenda and several articles demonstrating the kind of thought leadership represented at this event at ets19.co. That's ets19.co. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. Music